Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to My Millennial Career. My name is Shelley Johnson. I'm a HR consultant and the founder of Boldside. Hey, Em. Hey, Shell. Emily Bowen here and I am COO of Rare Kind. And today on the show, we're talking about how to survive and thrive. And thrive. Yes, in your probationary period. So that's that first six months of your employment where you are figuring out what the vibe is. You're trying to get a sense of this new team, new role, new workplace. And so we really want to give you our eight strategies, eight ways to not just survive, but thrive in that probationary period. And often one of the most difficult parts of this period is learning everybody's names. But we're going to go a little bit beyond that with our eight things today (laughs) so that you don't end up in that situation where somebody's sitting with you and saying, hey, Em, unfortunately, you haven't cut it. Yeah. So we'll get you through it and let's do it. All right, number one, M. The first thing we need to do when we start a new job is think about how we want that first impression to go. And are we talking here, I mean, my mind for some reason just went straight to like what to wear on the first day, you know, making sure that you fit in. Is that what we're talking about here or is it a little bit more than that? It's that but more. So definitely thinking that through because you want to... I think you might have said this in a previous episode around when you rock up and you're in a suit and everyone's actually just wears T-shirts and cons and they're chilling, you know, yep. basically. So it's just knowing you you kind of want to have that stuff clear in your mind before you get there and get a sense of that. You can actually ask your manager in advance, hey, what's the, what's the vibe in terms of dress? Well, you'll probably see some of it at interview and – But I guess the trick there is how many people are you exposed to? Have you had the opportunity to see a few different people and see what they're wearing or have you only seen one? Did you happen to catch them on a day that was unusual for them in the way that they were dressed in the sense that did they actually have, besides the interview with you, a really important meeting in inverted commas? Were they out on site? So perhaps they were dressed down in high vis more than they would normally be. Like you just, you might not know from one meeting if that's all that you've had, what the general vibe is. But I also think, Shell, when it comes to thriving thriving at your, uh, through your probation, you want to take all of the, I guess, unproductive stress and pressure out of it. And for me, if I have that phone call before my first day where I'm able to say like, hey, what do you guys typically wear? What's normal for your for this workplace? Then it's just one less thing for me to stress about. And so I can show up and be my better self and I can put more effort into some of the other things we're going to talk about. Yeah, that's right. And I think we're, the reason those first impressions count is because how you show up is, it's funny people, we're so judgy. We are. Yeah, whether you like it or not, and you can control your own judgment, but you can't control the judgment of others. That's so you've got to right. play with that, I guess. Yeah, and so it's just a good thing to think through 
we've done a few episodes on personal brand, but before you start a new job, it's really good to go back to that and go, how do I want to show up in this workplace? Like, how do I want to be perceived and and what does that look like? And so, you're really starting with that in mind on the first day. And that's not about being inauthentic. That's more so self-reflection. What have I learned from the role that I'm leaving from my career so far? And how would I like to do things differently now I've got this clean slate opportunity? That's right. Another good thing to think about is just that first meeting. What do you want that first meeting to look like? So how do you want to show up with a notepad preferably? I, I remember actually someone who started when I was, uh, was working, they weren't working on my team, but I just saw them start and they would rock up into meetings without kind of any notepad. And you know, when you're at a cafe and the wait, the wait staff come up and they're taking a big, massive order of a group and they don't have a notepad. So nerve wracking. I get so, so nervous. Ner- I'm like, oh, and you I'm- better be one of these super stars that somehow me- remembers, but not many people are. Well, and the thing is, I think the thing is with that, when, when you're new, the team who you're working with, they don't know you. So, so you might be able to retain, you might be like Mike Ross and able to retain every bit of information. If you've watched Suits, you'll know what I'm talking about. But it's just one of those things that it might not be necessary for you, but it can relieve the tension of the other person. So showing up with a notepad and pen to me is just a really good sign of saying, I'm here, I'm present, I'm listening. And I care. I worry sometimes when I'm sitting down with somebody who's new and I'm putting all of this effort into downloading. So I'm like training or I'm giving them the context for the organization and really trying to set them up for success. If they're just sort of sitting there looking at me like that's awesome, but I'm thinking, is this all going in one ear and out the other? Not because you lack intelligence, purely because you're about to get slammed like this week, this month with so much new information. And I just think if that was my brain, what I'm hearing on Monday morning is going to be pushed out by Friday afternoon because there's going to be so much more. Yeah, that's right. Such a good, uh, just a good way to create that first impression as well. So that's number one. Number two, this is a biggie. Like it's a biggie. This is get clear on culture, vision and strategy. Like, whoa, right? Because these are things that organisations put a huge amount of time and effort and brain space into coming up with and they are what brings an organization together and hopefully you've already got a sense for some of this through the recruitment process and that's what you've bought into and why you've decided to jump on board. Here though when it comes to your first week in particular we want to see you reading everything you can. So that might be the website, it might be an onboarding or induction handbook that they've given you. Maybe an annual report. Yeah, your position description and really understanding how all of these things connect. And that's good, Em, the the word connect because you do want to see how those things integrate. So we want to know, okay, if they have any documentation around the culture, the values, the strategy, they might have vision statements really get clear on those things in relation to the job that you do and ask questions about that. Because if you show up with your manager and you're asking questions to them of going, I saw that the values are this, how do you see them outworking my role? I'm thinking maybe it looks like this. They're going to love that because they're going to see that you've thought through the connection between the bigger picture and how your rollout works. And that's a really great way to show that you're thinking through 
the higher level things that really matter, especially matter to your manager. And the other thing I love when you're starting a new role is navigating the work jargon. Yes, like the acronyms and the buzzwords. Totally. I remember when I started at one of my old jobs and they used this acronym called, and we all laughed about it, the TCPT. And it's even that's a mouthful even, to uh, say. Yeah, I was going to say, that's not even easy to say. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was so good. It was um, TCPT, Transforming Core Processes Through Technology. And I remember when I started. <laughs> I'm not, well, I guess it, when you compare it to that <laughs> mouthful. Yeah. And when I started, they all would laugh. They'd be like, oh, we've got so many acronyms. And so we ended up giving people this um, acronym sheet. And it was like a cheat sheet for all the internal jargon because there was so much of it. And I was so overwhelmed when I started. But it wasn't even just that, like in terms of um, acronyms. I think in any workplace, they just have funny ways of saying things. So like, uh, you know, you can Google work jargon to try and figure it out. But we're we're laughing about, uh, before this episode, Em and I are laughing about bandwidth. <laughs> like I don't, yes. have, I don't have bandwidth for that. And like all the like loop back or circle back or I just kind of so many different examples of work jargon. Growth hacking was one that I remember a workplace I worked at used. But it's just trying to figure out all that stuff in the beginning and also laugh about it and go, oh, look, I'm new here. I don't know these things, but I'm going to figure it out. And at the risk of being judgy, I'm sitting here thinking, okay, if your workplace needs an index or some sort of like dictionary for the number of acronyms that you've got, maybe you've got too many acronyms. But <laughs> maybe you know, we'll put that aside. I'm the same. Something I find as well is, I'm just, I've been where I work for too long, so to speak. And, you know, I say that with a whole lot of love and a bit of sarcasm. And what I find is when I'm inducting somebody new or even at interview, you know, there's such a connection between that recruitment process and these first couple of weeks in particular, I just fall in the trap of speaking as if the other person knows what I'm talking about. So I'll talk about our niches and forget or at least have to consciously try and remind myself to pause at that moment and go, oh, so we call ni- we call them niches. They're actually our specialised departments or teams and try and use more colloquial language. I guess where I'm leading to though is if you are in a conversation where somebody's doing this big download to you and they do start to lose you, do not be afraid to pull them up and say, you've used this word niches a few times. What does that mean to you guys? Like what, what are you talking about there? The other person is most likely, I would think, to go, oh, goodness, sorry. Like, yep, that's one of the words we use around here. You definitely need to ask the questions and just just go with the humour on it. But be confident to say, hey, I don't know what that means. Because, yeah, you do get used to when you've worked in an organisation for a long time, just using all the lingo and forgetting that actually people have no idea what I'm talking about. Totally. Um, the other thing under this getting clear on the culture, the vision, the strategy, and, and I guess the language is remembering that there could be a process of culture shock. So anytime I've started a new job, um, I don't know if, well, you've been in your organisation <laughs> for a long time. It's okay, I'm going to use a gym comparison. Okay, so go on and then I'll add well, that at the end. I've, I've experienced culture shock anytime I've moved jobs in, into a new workplace and even into a new team. If you go from one, if you're in a large organisation, you go from one team to another, you could experience a bit of culture shock just from working with a new, new manager even. And I guess it's preparing yourself for that and going in and thinking, okay, the first month or two I might um, find difficult and it might take a bit of a toll on my energy because I'm trying to understand the social dynamics of this group, the norms, the behaviours, and they're going to be different. And I think we often go into a new job and think that 
we, we come in with all of our kind of, I guess, bias or patterns of behavior that we've developed from our old job and just assume that it's going to be the same because we've immersed ourselves in another environment for so long. So it's just acknowledging, you don't necessarily need to do anything about it. You just need to acknowledge that that could be a reality and be okay with a level of discomfort. Totally agree. Our our most direct comparison, so our most recent and available comparison mentally and emotionally is the last workplace we were in. But it's actually not a reasonable and fair comparison as you've described and we often underestimate that. I have watched people go through that discomfort and I feel like we have heard stories as well but where people are in their probation period, that three to six months, and they really question whether they've made the right decision or not. And I did promise a bit of a gym comparison. I see people come into the gym new and maybe they haven't trained for a little while and those first few weeks really hurt and they kind of they get one week in, two weeks in, three weeks in and they just start to question their decision if they stick it out for five to six weeks, they have the routine, the the pain and, and that feeling of soreness starts to settle. They're more familiar with the place and with the people around and it starts to feel more settled and more like home. And I, I believe the same in what we're describing in the workplace as well. Love it. The next one is clarify role expectations. And this is where you want to get super clear with your manager. So if you have a one-on-one, assuming you'll have a one-on-one with your manager in the first week, um, but whenever that is, whatever timeline that is, you want to get really clear on the role expectations and goals. And so asking those questions, what are the core deliverables you're expecting of me? Are there any KPIs? Are there any, I don't know, they might have objectives and key results, OKRs or or whatnot. So any of these, we're throwing around a lot of acronyms here, but what we're wanting to do is to find out the outcomes that are required in the role and look at the timelines for those. So when do we want these things to be delivered by and what does success look like? So I think that question of what does success look like is a really good way to even frame up that conversation. And if you're my new manager and I come to you, I would be saying, hey, Em, so excited about this role. One of the things I really love is to get clear on the expectations from you as a manager. What would you say the five success measures are? And understanding the difference between what that looks like for the first three months, the six months, and then in 12 months when you're really settled, because when you're on that new job learning curve, even if it's something that you've done before, so even if you've moved from one role as an engineer to a new role as an engineer, for all of the reasons that we've been describing around culture shock and new new workplace, new people, you're not necessarily going to be fulfilling the role in its wholeness in that first three months because you're still coming up to speed. So for me, part of that understanding around timelines and successes from your manager is understanding, well, what does that look like? You know, what does the learning curve look like? What's their expectation? How soon would they expect that you will be up to speed. Yes, that's so important. I love what you've just said so much because you're right. You might only be operating at 50% of the expectation in the first three months because you've got so much information you're learning. But that's such a good way to frame it, Em, of going, okay, what would be the staged expectations as well over time? And if, you know, we've talked about this one-on-one in that first week or, or thereabouts, I would advocate for the fact that if you're manager or if the organization has not put those structured meetings, those check-in meetings in place, you need to proactively make sure they're in the calendar. 
Yeah, that's a really good, that's such good advice because it does vary from place to place. But yeah, be proactive. And essentially this whole concept is taking control over your probationary period. That's how you thrive. So you are doing those things that intentionality and taking control over the probationary period. So I love that idea, M. Okay, number four, this is where you want to start getting into the getting into the fun stuff. So getting into the nitty-gritty of what are those pet hates in particular in relation to communication of your peers and your manager. This is so good because uh, it's funny, you often only figure out people's pet hates by doing them. And so <laughs> one of my pet hates is when people have their music on out loud. Like I can't handle it. I, I'm like, oh, that's what headphones are for. Like, but- Yeah, well, particularly when you're in a shared workspace. Like so many offices are open plan design now and there is the opportunity to play music out loud and everyone gets to listen to it or there's the option of having your headphones in and then allowing each individual to choose what works best for them. Yeah, so I don't think you'd totally. be alone with that one. And so I think... I think knowing that I would just be open with my with new team members about that when they um, work with me to say, hey, oh, this is one of my things that, you know, it might be annoying or different from where you've come from, but this is something that I, I value not, you know, having music on out loud because it's hard to focus or, and I think just having those things and having those conversations up front. So as a new team member, asking not just your manager, but your peers, hey, what are your pet hates when it comes to like, how do you like to be interrupted? Because this is a really good one of, you know, is there a way I can, I need, I'm going to need to ask questions of everyone in the first three months because I'm going to be learning and figuring it out. So what's the best way for me to kind of ask you questions? Is it a Teams or a Slack message or is it um, a quick chat booked into your email, which, you know, into your uh, calendar? But I think just working out those areas that could cause a bit of, um frustration rub over time I guess and it's a funny one because the way that we might need to approach other people could be different to our own preference so often when we go to communicate with someone we'll grab whatever suits us best so if we prefer a text message or we prefer that dm or we prefer to send an email or pick up the phone we're going to most most often reach for that And so there is a challenge and perhaps like a personal inconvenience in needing to adapt to the people around us. But my belief is at the end of the day, if you want to get the best outcome for yourself, then being a part of a workplace and a part of a team is about adapting to others' preferences and needs. And it's just a really cool thing. Like you think about if I had a new team member come in and say to me, oh, hey, Shell, I'd just love to know any of your pet hates, your pet peeves. I'd be like, oh, cool, we're establishing this up front. We don't have to learn through trial and error. We're actually clarifying it up front. And also share yours because be open about that. Like if you – like – but it just means that you're setting yourself up for wins and you're preempting things that might be a challenge before they occur and you're reducing the risk of them occurring. Totally. Awesome. Hey, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk more about that tension piece in a new team about the feedback loop. Oh, we're getting into some of the good stuff. Hey, thanks for listening. We love learning how to do all things well, which is why we have a bunch of different podcasts on a variety of topics. So go and check out My Millennial Investor, My Millennial Property, My Millennial Money Medical, My Millennial Health, My Millennial Business, and My Millennial Money. Find these wherever you're listening to this podcast. Selling a little or a lot? 
Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. All right, so number five is feedback. Agree on how you'd like to give and receive feedback with your manager. This is another thing. I love this M so much because it really, if you do these steps, you're going to set yourself up for such a win in this first six months because these are things that most people probably don't do. They're real building blocks and it comes back to this idea of nobody is a mind reader and it's a two-way street. So the whole way through here, we are talking about opening up these lines of communication with your manager and finding out what their perspective or their preference is, but it's a two-way street. So it also allows you the opportunity to say, and hey, here's how I work best and here's how to get the best out of me. Here's what I need from you as a leader. Which is what every manager likes to know. Absolutely. So in the first month or so, you really want to have a discussion around feedback. So ask the manager, how do you like to um, provide feedback? What's the process? Like do we have monthly one-on-ones or or what type of way do they like to communicate so that you know what to expect from them? And also ask them the question of, hey, if I have any feedback about how the team's going or how I feel the role is is going, how should I give that to you? Yep, awesome. Again, you're just setting up that expectation up front and it just makes everything so much easier in the long term. Yep. Now, number six goes along the same line of thinking. And again, another building block. This time we're talking about what are the things that can lead to tension if we don't have clarity up front. So you're probably noticing a theme through this episode. It's all about setting the foundations. For number six, what, we, what we're talking about here is some of the meatier, the bigger ticket items. So things like remote working and flexibility. What's the boundaries? What's the expectations? If you're unwell, what's expected? Does your manager uh, require a phone call or are they happy with a quick text message? And it's a really, I I remember starting a job, Em, and in the first month, I, my kids were sick. I was sick. It was just a, it was just felt like a disaster. And I wish in the first week when I actually was there, I was able to kind of say, oh, hey, in the event that I'm like unwell, what's the process for calling in sick? Like, is it And in that environment, it was just a text message. It was really informal. Whereas in previous workplaces, it had been more of like, you have to physically, like you have to call your manager. And so just again, like when you're in that new environment, you've got all these things and you're trying to impress people and you're trying to build relationships and rapport. And 
any way you can reduce those hurdles is just so helpful and and it just makes your life so much easier. So talking about it up front is just a really good way to make just reduce stress, I yeah, think. Yeah, and reduce the unknowns and the blind spots. So what's coming to mind for me here as well is particularly where a lot of us are working more remotely we're removing the opportunity or reducing the opportunity to take cues from what's going on around us. So if you're not having these upfront conversations, which we would never recommend, we always recommend that you have the chat, then what you're looking at is just what's going on around you. Now, the risk with that is you could misunderstand it, misinterpret it, or you could miss the fact that different people have different arrangements that they have agreed that might be unique to them. And I even think about over time. So if I've got somebody new in my team, I'll admit that I'm probably looking for them to make the phone call until we build trust. And then over time, I'll get to the point where I'll go, you know what, just shoot me a text message. It's fine because the trust is there. And so the other piece of this puzzle, I guess, is navigating how the, uh, that trust is built and how the relationship and the expectations can evolve over time. Yeah, I love that, Em, of what you're saying there is so important, Em, because you're right, we are, we don't get to see, we're not, there's not as much proximity to others. We don't get to have that immersion into the, the culture. Is that it? That's probably lingo. That's probably yeah, where it's Someone go and Google that. <laughs> what does that even in mean? In the show notes. We'll define it in the show notes. <laughs> oh my gosh. I did that thing that I, that I cringe at. Um, <laughs> I, I guess... I think the remote work piece is a really big, big source of tension. Well, it's almost like having one of your senses removed. Yeah, like you're removing you're four, the visual. You only have four senses yes. now. <laughs> um, because I guess as well, like even different workplaces have such different views on this. I know um, I were, and different managers as well. So my manager for many years, she was just so flexible and, and it was very high trust. And so I just pretty much could do – like it was very informal the way we worked out my schedule but then in other environments it's been much more structured and so knowing that it was almost like there was environments where it's more policy driven or and formal and so it's figuring that out early and 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 knowing hey if I'm not feeling 100% am I okay to just work from home do I have to let you know like what is the process for all those things but there's also I see even in our business, different roles, but different individuals, as I talked on before, where I know, okay, that person seems to walk out the door at four o'clock every afternoon. Some people might, particularly if you're new, see that and think, oh, right. So I guess like I can just leave when I'm done. But in actual fact, that person's leaving at four o'clock because we've got a specific arrangement with them that we've agreed up front that works for them where they start earlier than everybody else, but you don't see that because you're not there. And so therefore they finish earlier than everyone else. Such a good point. And it's just about the expectation management and the clarity. And maybe that arrangement is available to you too, but you you need to have the conversation. Um, I lo- oh, I love what you say so much all the time. I always <laughs> love what you say, but I particularly I like, love, I think, um, <laughs> I think this whole thing, this whole thing can be boiled down to what you just said, expectation management and communication. Most of life can. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> We'll just quit the podcast now. We've yeah, solved the world's go. problems. So number seven is set up time to review. If they don't, it's kind of what you said and before of setting up those one-on-one meetings if they're not already kind of scheduled by your manager. You want to be able to review where you're at with your manager. So if they don't book it in, book in a 
three month and six month review or ask them if they're okay with that. Now, if it's really chilled and informal and they think, no, thanks, I don't want that, that's fine. But I think it's helpful to be proactive and say, hey, Em, one of the things I would love is just to be able to review with you how you think everything's going. Is it okay if we book in a three month, you know, half an hour or an hour catch up to just check in and see how things are going? And you can do that again at six months. And then you can kind of come back to some of the earlier conversations around, when we talked about um, getting clear on your role expectations, you can look at how you've been performing against those success measures we talked through before. So you really are starting to help your manager see that you have been observing, you've been listening and you've been taking the right steps to make sure you're thriving and kicking big goals in your probation. Absolutely. And we all get caught up in our day-to-day, week-to-week and the months do fly by quicker than we realise. So by you taking control of your own career and popping these in the calendar with a nice little like invitation, nice permission, hey, is it okay if I pop this in for us, I'll find some time – You are doing that. You are taking ownership and yeah, your manager is absolutely going to get benefit out of that. But at the end of the day, it's about you getting the benefit out of it for your career, which ultimately benefits the business. And then you get no surprises at the end of your probation either, which is a biggie. All right, so we're just about coming home on this one. We're at number eight. And this is the big do I stay or do I go question because the probation period is not just about an opportunity for your employer to decide whether or not this is right for you. It's actually an opportunity for you to decide whether or not it's right for you. And I'll admit, Shell, I don't know about your experience, but I don't often see people finish up during their probation period and I don't often see probation periods extended. However, it does happen. Yeah, I think they're the exception. They are, yeah. And look, I'd like to think that comes from a great uh, decision-making process during the recruitment process uh, or even just in your own reflection when you've decided to leave the role that you've come from prior to this. And so hopefully we're all set up for success. I'd also like to think it comes from the fact that you've followed our, you know, seven steps up until now. And maybe that has allowed you to be on the right track, be thriving, and therefore probation comes and goes and it's not a big deal. But there are other times where it might not be right for you and you've had the opportunity to make that decision. I think it's it's knowing that it's not just an employer-driven thing and you you know, when you start a new role, it's hard to determine exactly what you're in for. Like it's hard to know, oh, how is this going to, how is this going to go? Because things can look good from the outside. And when you're in them, you realize, oh, it's not, it's not really what I expected. And so our encouragement to you is you have permission to use the probation to decide if you like the workplace. And you, you know, six months, you need that six months to scratch that surface enough to make that decision. I don't believe that you could make it in the first three months because everything is still so fresh. And even six months feels a little bit like, oh, but you know, if you just hang around for a bit longer, could it change? So I think it's going to continue to be the exception that people would pull the pin. But you're right, the option is there, no strings attached for both the employer and the employee to make that decision. And I think when it typically happens is when there's a, a lack of alignment in your values. Mm. I think it, it yep. tends to come down to that. You get in there and you realise, oh, I thought this was going to be a more autonomous work environment, but I've realised that the culture is a bit micromanagey and that's not for me. Yeah. And it's been consistently like that for the six months. And even though I've had these regular conversations because I've followed Shell and M's steps and I thought that we were on the same page, when push comes to shove, we're not. 
Yeah, and that's okay. So be confident to know it's your time as well. It's not just the employer's time and use it. Make a decision. If you don't like it, you can leave and and we're always happy when people make the moves that are best for them. Absolutely. All right. Hey, well, that is it from us eight ways to not just survive your probation, but to thrive. And that's what we want for you. So if you do have any stories about how you've managed that new employment period, hit us up. You can find us on the My Millennial Money Facebook community and we'd love to hear from you. All right. As always, we love your feedback. If you enjoy the show, give us a five-star rating and review. Thanks for hanging out. Yeah. Tell your friends. Talk to you later. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. Hey, thanks for listening. We love learning how to do all things well, which is why we have a bunch of different podcasts on a variety of topics. So go and check out My Millennial Investor, My Millennial Property, My Millennial Money Medical, My Millennial Health, My Millennial Business, and My Millennial Money. Find these wherever you're listening to this podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.